Hello, and welcome to GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. My name is Chantal. I'm Nick. And we are here with Zoran, or Zoki. Hello. How's it Hello. going? And so you are a second-year master's student in biology here at Western, is that correct? That is correct. And I understand that you study spider mites. Yes. What is a spider mite? A spider mite is an arachnid animal that feeds on plants, and they are very they're very important economic pest that feeds on over a thousand different species of plants, including 150 crops. What's oh. their favorite plant? Probably cannabis. Woo! <laughs> nice. They must have been happy when we legalized. Well, I mean, different. Uh, it's not like you can put any mite on any plants. There's different populations adapted to eating on different plants, but it's all still the same species. Interesting. And, that, and that's like the pretty much the one of the biggest questions we're asking is how are they able to eat and successfully feed on so many different species. And What's I, their secret? And I understand this is that's like kind of the interest of your entire lab, right? Yes. Yeah. And who and who supervises your lab? Voislava Gerbich, and we call her Vava for short. Okay, wonderful. And how many of you are working on this project? Mm, there's, a bit, there's a good number of us. Uh, last I count, about thirteen. And for your part, what's what's sort of like? What are you trying to learn or understand? My focus is on the digestive tract of the spider mite because the digestive tract is, prim- is like the principal interface between the mite and whatever it's eating. And how do you do that? How do you study that? Well, uh, <laughs> this is actually one of the questions that we were asking at the beginning, what am I going to be doing? And I had a number of ideas, and my supervisor decided to uh, point me towards the acidity of the digestive tract because the acidity, or rather pH, that's an important factor of the enzymes in their digestive tracts. And so typically to figure out the acidity of a digestive tract, like what would be like a typical method to go about doing that? And can you do that with spider mites? Uh, The most precise way to do it is to use an electrical probe Okay. But the problem with spider mites is that the even the biggest uh, even the biggest spider mites they're only about half a millimeter long, so uh-huh. the size is really prohibitive. Okay. So I had to figure out what's a more economical way of doing it. I decided to use pH indicator dyes. Okay. Although the trade-off for that is precision, because okay. you can only uh, they work by identifying the color, but what happens when you get close to one color versus another? How do you distinguish one between the other? Mm-hmm. So that's where the trouble comes in. And what's the sample size you're working with? Uh, ten mites per dye per digestive tract part. So there's three main digestive tract areas that I'm looking at. There's the midgut, which is essentially the spiromite's stomach, where most of the breakdown stuff happens. Then there's the posterior midgut, which is basically its intestines, where the final processing happens, the last nutrients are sucked up, or the last waste is deposited. And then there's the digestive cell, which is how they have their two spots. They're like these big uh, round cells that uh, take up stuff in the midgut and 
we're trying to figure out what in God's green flat earth they're doing in there. <laughs> like, are they breaking their food? Are they just collecting waste? We don't know. But again, I'm trying to figure out what the pH is in there because with understanding the pH, then that gives us an idea of what sort of enzymes are active in those areas. So are these spots that they have, is that like unique to them? Uh, mm, not really, but like... Like, do we have those? No, no, okay. no we don't have those. <laughs> uh, basically what it is, is imagine the stomach... I'm not a biologist. Imagine <laughs> the, the stomach lining and imagine like a lava lamp, the little cells just pop off. Okay, okay. Yeah, and then they just take up food and grow and grow and... Yeah, that's how they appear in there. I, I'm not too sure a lot of them do. I'm still, like, reading a bit for my thesis. But there are a number of animals that do similar things, like uh, ticks. They're, when they, they feed on blood, they do a similar thing where the cell kind of globs up and sucks up the, the blood. Although I don't think they detach. They just glob up to create surface area. But mm. your guess is as good as mine. Mm. And when you're not working on these spider mites, wh- how, where do you keep them? We keep them on uh, uh, these uh, bean plants, red kidney beans, and those are like suspended on four uh, potting trays uh, filled with water to keep them from escaping. And what's the population of these potting trays? Oh, like hundreds of trillions of gajillion I'm just kidding about oh. about a million or two like the, you can have hundreds of mites on a single leaf. Wow. And you have about 30 to 40 plants on a in the colony. So you lose one, it's not a big deal. No, that's not a big deal. In fact, they can repopulate pretty quickly. And I guess that's why they're considered a pest, yep, right? Yep, that and their ability to feed on different species. Their the plasticity of their genetics is one of the big mysteries that we're trying to figure out. Interesting. But yeah, the reproduction rates, that's a that's a pretty uh, important part of their success. So imagine imagine a field of cows, which is essentially what they are on a leaf, except the cows give birth to a new calf every four to five hours. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> it's and how long do they live? About four to five weeks. Uh, from egg to adult is about one week. And from then on, the they just feed and feed. It's the... It's, uh, there's a sexual dimorphism there where the female's really big, really water balloony, and they're the ones doing most of the feeding. And the males, they're like small, uh, pointy in the butt. And, you know, the, well, with a lot of males in nature, there's like really one thing more important than food to them. So, <laughs> <laughs> so what's the hardest part of your research? The hardest part, I'd say, is getting that good picture. Because the mites are so small, but they're also round-shaped too. So when you look under a microscope, uh, the round part, that's going to interfere with the focus. So Mm. I have to flatten them up a bit. But even then, some things are out of focus, and I just have to find the right spot. Uh, It's a little easier for me because I'm looking more for the color of the pH dyes in the mite rather than getting a nice sharp image of everything in them. But it's nice when you can get that, too. It is very nice, yes. For publishing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And how did you come to study these mites? Like, have you always been into spiders or...? Not really, but I've always been into biology. And I've... uh, Before I came here, I was working in Kitchener. 
and I decided to just have a hobby with actually no no I started this hobby in my last years of undergrad I bought a microscope mm. and a camera and I just took pictures of everything because I when I was in school we got to use microscopes but we didn't get to use them all the time just for whatever lab we were working on I'm like well that's not fair I want to keep looking at this stuff so <laughs> Uh, since we're in the future, I just decided to go on Amazon and buy a microscope. Just about $150, $250. And they're that cheap? They're, I they're, they're a yeah. couple grand. No, no, no. Well, I mean, they're really nice ones, yeah. but a simple one for just looking at stuff. Yeah, it's, it's pretty affordable. So you bought a microscope and you found a spider mite? Uh, yeah, but I didn't know what the spider mite was. Uh, I was looking at a tomato leaf and the spider mite crawled by. And I wondered what it was called, so I looked online for the name, and I found the name. But when I searched the name, the my supervisor's page was the first one listed because she does a lot of research on that. I'm like, hey, that's in Mustard. Hey, she's Serbian like me. All right. <laughs> so I contacted her, and I was like, hey, I like what you do, and this is what I do. Is there any way I can help? Is there a master's thesis possible? And she brought me in. Fantastic. That's great when your hobbies become your research, too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but then I stopped doing the microscope photography because I kind of felt like, okay, if I'm spending time doing this, I should be using that time to do that instead. So I stopped it for a bit. Mm -hmm. Although I did pick up a new hobby, building terrariums. What is a terrarium? Oh, it's uh, basically a a jar with a self-sustaining ecosystem in it. So... You have a jar, you put rocks on the bottom, pour a little water, put a filter on, then put soil, then plants, then animals, and whatever, and you seal that off. And it's a, when you have the right amount of water and soil and whatever, it's supposed to be able to just keep going. Everything gets recycled and whatnot. Wow. What's the biggest terrarium you have? How big is it? Uh, about, about a foot long. Wow. Round kind of thing. Does it have animals or? Yeah, it does. It? Uh, wood louse, wood lice, uh, pill bugs. They're they're the best ones to have in there. But there's also like a plant that's in there. There was a plant before, but then it died. But then another one grew up, and oh, nice. it actually just stopped growing, and it's just staying alive. Actually, at Laurier, they have a whole uh, uh, atrium where there's trees inside. And there, I think it was to study something called the fishbowl effect, where the plant kind of senses obstacles in its surrounding and it doesn't like try to grow beyond that. Right. Yeah. Yeah, because I know goldfish will grow as big as the tank, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they'll just explode. So this Wait, is nice. <laughs> if we put goldfish in the pool, <laughs> we'll have goldfish sharks. Yeah. It's genius. <laughs> That's awesome. It's peanuts idea. It's Peanuts' idea. So one thing we didn't mention when we started our interview is that Zoki has um, has brought a, a second guest along, uh, Peanut. Now, yes. Peanut is a penguin, am I correct? Yes, he's a little stuffed animal that I take everywhere. He's my he's my partner in crime. And how did you and, uh, and Peanut first meet? Well, right before I left my work, uh, one of my workmates gave me a gift, and Peanut was in the goodie bag, and I was like, Hello, I shall take you to glory. (laughs) And Peanut goes everywhere with you. Yes, everywhere. There's always someone to talk to, even if I'm alone. Do you find that Peanut is a good good talking piece Mm -hmm. when you're meeting new people? Hell yeah. 
especially with the ladies. <laughs> Although it's it's kind of like uh, the Midas touch. Yeah, there's the gold, but I don't exactly get to enjoy it. He gets all the ladies. That's right. And, and I, the food. I understand Peanut also has uh, his own Instagram account. Yes. Yes. What what is that? If people want to check out and and get a get a feel for what Peanut looks like. At Peanut Penguin, all one word, lowercase. Awesome. And you said you mentioned food, so he really likes food. Yes. He will eat anything and pretty much everything and anyone. Wow. Oh, anyone. <laughs> Don't fall asleep. Oh, no. <laughs> so he's a foodie. Uh, uh, he's looking at you. Uh-oh. Do I got to go. Do the other members of your lab uh, think of Peanut as one of their lab mates as well? Uh, I, whenever I'm working in the lab, I kind of keep him in the bag because I don't want any chemicals or whatever. But, yep, if he's with me, he's part of the crew. Very cool. Well, we're very happy to have him as a oh, guest yeah, as well. He's the team spirit. He's <laughs> the Scooby-Doo. And I understand that you're getting close to the end here now. You're in the in the thesis process kind of thing right yep, now. Yep, just 10 more years. <laughs> and by that, I mean just two months, or just till the end of August. Till the end of August. And what's what's the plan for, for after? Well, aside from taking over the world, <laughs> probably just seeing what there is. It really depends on where the opportunity is. Like, my ultimate goal was to end up in Burlington, get a penthouse apartment with a lake view. <laughs> that sounds awesome. It does, except about four years from now, I'll probably be underwater. But, oh. well, I future us worry about that. <laughs> but, yeah, but now I'm thinking, well, what else is out there? I was looking at Vancouver because I was at Victoria one time, and they're really big on biology over there. Mm-hmm. They, they have their own rainforest over there. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm from out west, and the one of my favorite things. Apparently, a lot of car commercials are filmed out in BC, out in the Vancouver area, because within a few hours you can go from a rainforest to a desert. So you get a lot of different terrains desert. in a very close. Yeah, there's a desert just outside of, uh, just outside of Vancouver. Yeah, yeah. Okay, now I'm definitely going. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> Peanut, do you want to go to Vancouver? <laughs> he's, he's doing his guest dance. <laughs> So would you consider doing a PhD or just straight to work? All right. Congratulations. You are number 5,300 to ask me that question. <laughs> it's common when you're in yeah, grad school. Hey? I know. I, like I was considering at first, but I feel like I've kind of exhausted my discipline for reading and writing. Like I, I like doing the lab work. I like the TAing stuff. I even like staying after hours and helping wherever I can. But... I don't know, just sitting at a computer and reading article after article and having to write a big document, I, it's just not appealing to me anymore. Mm, so you're ready for some field work. Absolutely. Like, I, I have a big where uh, big exp- work experience in warehouses, so that's, wh- that's why I like just getting involved with physical work stuff rather than the research part. Mm-hmm. Well, of course, I'm, I'm going to continue reading and writing until the program's done, obviously. I want to get this done mm-hmm. but yeah I just don't want it to be I don't want the PhD to be just another job you know if I'm going to spend four years of my life doing this again then it's going to be the right PhD it's going to be the right supervisor and have you felt that the master's has been right for you this, oh absolutely the, you've liked it here the stuff I've learned the people I've met it's I feel at home right here Wonderful. Mm-hmm. Do you like Western better than Laurier, Absolutely. where you did your undergrad? <laughs> Laurier, I find, I 
I describe as a tourist attraction university. It's really small. It has all the basic components of a university, but it's one block. Yeah. <laughs> They're expanding a bit, but yeah, surprisingly, they have a biology department. <laughs> which is half a floor. <laughs> and when I came here and I found there were like freaking two to three buildings for it, I'm like, where do I start? <laughs> mm-hmm. But I mean, Laurier is all right. It's got a good community. It's got good professors, but the it just wasn't for me. Is biology something, like I'm thinking back to like in your, even like in your undergrad, you bought a microscope and that kind of thing. Like these are the things that you were really interested in, right? Like was that, is that something that traces all the way back with you? Like this traces all the way back to fifth grade when I did a project on octopuses. <laughs> ah. Yeah, that, that's pretty much what kickstarted it. That's where it started. What, what I did, well, my main thing back then before biology was crystals and minerals. Okay. But then I found biology and I was like, wow, the variation, mm-hmm. the how everything fits together. It's basically crystals but animated. Right. <laughs> crystals and minerals on yeah. crack. The great thing about biology is it, it there's always something new. Mm. It's never like boring or old. Like, yeah, sure, you have the uh, theories and the trends, but... There's just always some new thing that you find. Like even when I was working in masters here, like there was always a new thing that I learned. I'm like, oh, so that's why. And you didn't find that with minerals? No, no, no. no. But like I, I find that with minerals. But the thing with crystals and minerals is once you hang around them enough, then you're just thinking, well, they're, it's just a chemical really mm-hmm. in a certain form. Have you considered geobiology combining the two? Mm-hmm. It did pop up in my head. I'm still am looking around, seeing if there's anything uh, work-wise for that. But as a as a education thing, not really. No. Mm-hmm. My education for crystals and minerals was in where I worked before here. Uh, it was in a Kitchener. They're called Stonebridge Imports, and they're actually the biggest crystals and minerals shop in like pretty much this half of Canada. Oh wow! Yeah, funny story. Uh, before, right before I graduated um, my high school, I was starting to make my uh, crystals and minerals collection because I always wanted to start. And I was like, you know what? I could get hit by a bus that's falling out of the sky from a tsunami in an elevator or whatever. So I might as well start it. So I did. And I had to bike all the way to Hamilton in Jackson Square to go to the Harmony store where it was the only crystal shop that I knew about. Mm. And before I moved to Waterloo, I was like, okay, let's see what crystal shops there are so I don't have to bike 50 kilometers. Mm -hmm. And what do you know, the biggest crystal shop was right there. Mm -hmm. And actually that's like the first place I went to before I even went to the place I lived in. Uh Uh, I met the boss. Uh, They're a Brazilian family. It's a family business. They've grown quite a bit, but Mm -hmm. back then it was still pretty... uh, uh, small and yeah I was like hey can I volunteer and they brought me on board it's and like when, faith <laughs> yeah when I finished school I was like hey can I have a job here just until I find a biology job and they're like sure but I just stuck around yeah mm-hmm. minerals are awesome I study minerals kind of but I also study biology so I'm actually a geobiologist so if you're interested mm. talk to me I'll hook you up with a supervisor yeah, no problem send me an email <laughs> yeah 
And GradCast continues to make connections. <laughs> um, I was thinking about the uh, the the collection of spider mites you guys have in your lab and um, the rate of reproduction. And it really kind of amazes me and made made me wonder, do you have to do culling of your population if they're reproducing so quickly? Like, uh, is there a way that you regulate how many? Yes and no. Uh, what happens is the thing we actually regulate are the plants. Oh. So when the, when the spider mites feed, they're sucking out one cell at a time, but they do a ton of the cells in a day. And when you have enough of them drained, then the plant dies of a combination of dehydration and photosynthesis reduction. So the plants dry out, and once they're dry out enough, we just toss that with the mites, and we put a new plant on. I see. Yeah, I the see. mites. I was wondering, because I was thinking, if they're reproducing that quickly, like, is this lab... I have arachnophobia, I see, so is it, Sometimes like, too quickly, because... Yeah. Uh, if we don't replenish the plants enough, then there's so many mites that they actually have a silk strand that that well that allows them to like repel down. Oh wow! Yeah, you would you personally you probably wouldn't like. I that. would not like it. I would not like it at all. I'm yeah. often amazed at what some of the people here at Western study. To me, I mean, it might just seem like science to you, but me, it's the most brave thing you can ever do. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty brave, especially for Peanut. <laughs> he doesn't want them crawling in his fur. <laughs> But yeah, we uh, we try to maintain the plants as frequently as we can. If we don't, then stuff goes out of control, and we gotta torch the whole thing. I'm, ki- I'm kidding. Yeah. I'm kidding. But like, <laughs> w- uh, it's actually pretty quick to repopulate them. If we don't have enough, then we just give them about a week, half a week to kind of procreate. And since you're here, I guess kind of like as representative on Gradcast for your lab, you mentioned that your research is focusing primarily on pH levels in the digestive tract. Do you know what some of your, can you share what some of your other lab mates focus on? Well, uh, the big picture project here is to figure out how mites are able to, how these spider mites are able to successfully feed on so many different species of plants. Okay. So there's different approaches to this. Mine is, like I said, the digestive system, which is the interface between the bo- their body and what they eat. And other people in the lab, they look at different parts of the spider mites. So some of them look at the silk gland. So how are they able to make so much silk? Where does the silk come from out of the mouth? That sort of thing. Uh, Others look at uh, the genetics of the spider mite because since they're able to feed on so many different plants, that suggests some, some capacity, a big capacity for genetic adaptability Okay, and I'm I'm betting the my my uh, senior lab mates who are listening in right now they're probably thinking is he using the wrong terms again? Why oh. is he saying this <laughs> instead of that? Some sometimes I sometimes they do that. They're like Zoke, you shouldn't say it like this. You should say it like that. But well, like, we're all learning, but, but things I mean, like yeah, yeah, yeah for, things for like looking common, at the genetics for and... common people. <laughs> uh, it's just a big integrative project. Very and you cool. say they affect the economy. Is this something we should be worried about here in Canada? Um, not not like to an extent that we're going to suffer a famine, but you should worry in the context of, well, let's say food waste. Uh, it's kind of been predicted that uh, 
at least for America, I know that about 40% of the food that they make doesn't even make it to the dinner table. Mm. It just rots or gets thrown out or whatever. And in the future, it can even, I think they projected it to be about 50% of food waste. So imagine in the future you order Domino's pizza and they just deliver it straight to your garbage, <laughs> as they should, but that's not the point. The point is... <laughs> is to <laughs> understand that spider mites, they're really hard to get rid of once they've settled down on your plants. And our research is trying to open doors for pest control, natural pest control. Can you give us any examples of that? Uh, one big thing that we're working on is called RNAi or RNA interference, which the simplified version is that we feed them some double-stranded RNA and that interferes with the protein synthesis because like they have like what's called messenger RNA and that's like kind of the messenger boy that delivers the genetics that code for this protein mm -hmm. but the stuff we feed them kind of blocks that so they're not able to make that certain protein okay. and the great thing about RNAi is that it's specific to that genetic code so if another animal eats that stuff it it's won't. not going to do anything to them Fascinating. Right. But with pesticides that we have, they're, they're chemicals, they're uh, poisons. So really, if, it's, if anything eats it, then it'll affect that animal the same way it does any other animal. So a big one is called, the big ones are called neonicotinoids, and they kind of affect the nervous system of insects. And, well, I mean... Yeah, all insects have nervous systems, so... Right, yeah. Well, that sounds like a really creative and innovative approach right. in the research in the lab in general. Right, but we're taking baby steps right now because, well, with any research, it takes funding, and we have to be able to present and pitch the idea. Mm -hmm. And, it, like, it, it does sound very innovative and healthy for the planet, but there's a lot of science that goes into it and a lot of research, so we have to be like very sure very of what we're doing here. About, yeah, yes. absolutely. That's super cool. And we mentioned earlier that uh, Peanut has an Instagram, but if people want to check out some of the photos that you've taken of these mites or check out your lab and learn a little bit more about spider mites and the research you're doing, where would you send them? I'd send them to Western Science, third floor. Um, by the bridge. That's where our lab is. If anybody wants to check it out or ask questions. Does your lab have uh, a website? And what is your spider mite insta Instagram? Uh, it's, it's not Instagram for spider mites. It's Instagram for microscope pictures. For microscope pictures. Oh, okay. The Instagram for that is at B-I-O-X-O-I-D. So that's where people can go to check out your uh, microscope, microscope pictures. pictures. Yeah. If they want to check out the spider mites, uh, it's at Western Science Building. Okay, fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Zoki. It's been great to have you. And Peanut. Yes. Yeah, and thank you, Peanut. Peanut, thanks you. <laughs> now give us all your food. <laughs> <laughs> so this has been GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. If you'd like to be involved with our show or get in contact with us, you can email us at gradcastradio at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at Gradcast Radio. If you would like to listen to us, we are on CHRW 94.9 every Tuesday at 6 p.m. And also 
if you can listen to all of our shows on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Alternatively, selected podcasts will be able to be watched on YouTube at our Gradcast Radio site. Um, this has been our episode with Zoki from the Biology Lab, hosted by me, Chantal. And Nicole. And produced by Greg Robinson. Thank you for listening and have a great night. The Gradcast theme tune has been composed for us by Matthew Becker.